Here's a look at what's going on at Abundant Life this week. Ladies, make plans to attend the women's 11th annual Christmas tea entitled, I Am the Bread of Life. It promises to be a memorable event with great food, praise and worship by Carolyn Fakatu, along with a special message by our very own Corey Loritz. This event takes place on Saturday, December 8th from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. Tickets are available today, after service, or online. For many people, the holidays can be a tough season, especially for children separated from their families. So let's all come together for ALCF's 19th Annual Christmas Gift Drive to help children of incarcerated parents, local youth, and families of the military serving abroad. It kicks off with training on Sunday, November 18th from 12 to 1 p.m. in Allies 2, the house. And the gift drive goes through December 20th. If you're 18 to 30-ish and looking to go deeper in your walk with God within a community of young adult believers, or if you're not a believer but would like to learn about God's plan for your life, make plans to join our young adults group for Friday Fellowship on November 9th and 30th from 7 to 9 p.m. at Pastor Gary and Beth's house. For more information, contact ya at alcf.net. There's no need to wait until Sunday to worship with the ALCF family when you can join us for Worship Night, a midweek gathering filled with praise, prayer, and an inspiring message from Pastor Brian. This event takes place on Wednesday, November 14th from 7 to 8 p.m. in the Sanctuary. Our Young Adult Sunday Meetup is a great opportunity for people 18 to 30-ish to connect and have fun with other young adults over lunch. Meet us at the center pillar in the lobby after service on Sundays, and we'll head out together to enjoy a tasty local eatery from 11.30 to 1 p.m. If you are new to Abundant Life and want to learn more about our story, vision, and values, be sure to join Pastor Bryant at our guest luncheon, This is ALCF. The event takes place on Sunday, November 18th from 12 to 1 p.m. in the chapel. To sign up for any of these upcoming events, go to alcf.net slash signups or check out the ALCF app. And remember, abundant life exists to make a better you for a better world. And so, Father God, we bless you in this place today. And we acknowledge you to be our cornerstone. And we build our lives, Lord God, not on the empty promises of this world, but on the for sure promises of your word and the finished work of Jesus Christ. We rest on you. So those just aren't lyrics we sing. It is a life that we live. We want to be built on the sure foundation of Jesus Christ. All other ground is sinking sand. And we rest in that, Lord God, today. In Jesus' name, speak to us through your word. Use me, your servant. Amen and amen. Stay standing, please. Let's, let's say God's word together found in Ephesians chapter 5. If you could just put that, put that up on the screen together. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects 
her husband. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be saved. Excuse me. Seated. (laughs) Seated. Seated. Bless me. Although somebody needs to be saved. But don't look to me for that. Look to Jesus. All right. Here we go. On January 13th, 1996, a young nine-year-old girl named Amber Renee Hagerman was abducted right near her home in Arlington, Texas. Four days later, her lifeless body was found. She had been murdered. As you can imagine, this set her parents in a tailspin of grief. But that grief suddenly turned into a steeled resolve to make sure other parents' chances of experiencing what they had experienced was severely diminished. So they strategized. Amber's parents lobbied. And eventually, their hard work paid off because it was because of them and the grief over their departed daughter, Amber, that we now have what's called the Amber Alert System. This is a system that sends out an emergency signal whenever some child is abducted or a person is decreed lost or missing. It increases the chances of that child being found. Amber alert systems are signals sent out to find the lost. This morning, we begin a three-week series on marriage. Over the course of these three weeks, I want to send out an amber alert system an emergency signal, because you know as well as I do that marriage, at least marriage the way God designed and intended it to be in 2018 in these here United States is woefully lost. Most marriages aren't living up to God's design. I can see God peering over the balcony of heaven, looking at many homes and inwardly grieving, going, this is not what I had in mind when you two said I do. Tragically, many couples on their wedding day in a state of euphoria have the words spray painted on the back of some car, just married. But three years later, five years later, those same two words apply just in a different way. Just married. Our marriages are in trouble. Conservatively speaking, somewhere between 40 to 50% of all marriages will end up in divorce. Think about it with me. Imagine I lined up a hundred couples on their wedding day and told 40 or 50 of them to leave the building. That's exactly the divorce rate here. Parenthetically, let me say that I know I'm talking to a diverse crowd here, and I'm not just talking ethnically, but, but some of you all have gone through divorce, and you're either just getting things back together and kind of emotionally catching your wind or you're on your second marriage, third marriage, whatever it may be, I want you to know God's grace is sufficient. That We don't serve a God of a second chance. I would have used mine up a long time ago. We serve a God of another chance and another chance and another chance. There is no statute of limitations on God's grace. In 2011, for the first time in our nation's history, 
Little did we realize it, but the marriage rate actually declined. Today's generation are giving up on marriage. Many of them are children of divorce. They've seen the pain, and they said thanks, but no thanks. Now, let me ask you a question, not rhetorical. I want you to answer this out loud, okay? You ready? Answer it out loud. If 40 to 50% of all airline flights crashed, would you fly? I can't hear you. So no wonder when 40 to 50% of all marriages crash. We're looking at a generation saying thanks, but no thanks. I'm out. There needs to be an amber alert for marriage. I want to read you something from Tim Keller's wonderful book. I've, I've asked a resource center. They should have it today. Tim Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage. Uh, there's also another great book on marriage there called Love and Respect. I've also had them stock my parents' book, Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. Uh, I, I wasn't going to read the book that my parents wrote on marriage because I'd seen the movie, and the movie's quite good. But I've read the book, and the book is even better, as is the case. Tim Keller writes these words. Will you look at them with me? Over the last 40 years, the leading marriage indicators, empirical descriptions of marriage, health, and satisfaction in the United States have been in steady decline. All of this shows an increasing wariness and pessimism about marriage in our culture. And this is especially true of younger adults. They believe their chances of having a good marriage are not great. And even if a marriage is stable, there is, in their view, the horrifying prospect that it will become sexually boring. That is why many aim for something in the middle between marriage and mere sexual encounters, and that would be cohabitation with a sexual partner. Don't you see? People are giving up wholesale on marriage. I mean, if you all heard the story of how my wife and I met, uh, we met at church in Southern California. She had just gotten saved. Uh, um, because she had just gotten saved, I felt unusually compelled by the Lord to be a part of her spiritual formation plan, and um, I discipled her. And uh, my, my, wife, my wife grew up nominally, nominally, nominally Catholic, and so this whole Christian thing was, was very um, new to her. And I'll never forget one of her first kind of uh, observations of, um, of Christians were, she says, it's interesting, Christians are in such a rush to get married. She said, I don't understand that. Part of it makes sense when you know my wife's story as a child of divorce, No, she had not given up wholesale on marriage, but I I think some of that she was speaking out of her pain. It was almost as if she was saying, why are you in such a rush to get into something that will just ruin and hurt you? This morning, we're going to set out again on a three-week series on marriage. In fact... um, We're going to spend the next two weeks in one verse in Ephesians chapter 5, and not even that, in one phrase, in one verse in Ephesians chapter 5. It's that pregnant with meaning. Uh, And so I want you to understand, um, if you grew up in the church, you've probably heard a lot of different sermons on marriage. And I don't say this just to be saying this. Uh, The the journey we're going to take this time around on marriage is is going to be a lot different. And I'm going to present it to you uh, in a lot different way than what is traditionally taught. But that is faithful and true to the text and to the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I, I just need you to hang in there with me. I, I want to begin by just giving you a vision for marriage. Uh, in fact, when I think about my time the next 30 years here with you as pastor, and then after that I'll retire and become pastor emeritus and wear the new pastor out. But anyways, pray for me. But I, I just want you to understand, I think there are just a couple of messages every year that I just need to put on repeat and just, just kind of plead with you. I think every year I need to come to you and just give you a word on singleness. You can't really understand the Bay Area unless you give people a vision for singles. Um, again, San Jose, I'm so not making this up. Sociologists give it the nickname Man Jose. Some ladies are like, hmm, didn't know that. Uh, I need to move there. Um, 
But singles are flocking here. And if you don't have a word for singles, I just think part of uh, stewarding the gospel well here, you got to talk about that. I think i got to talk about biblical manhood, biblical womanhood. But I think every year I just need to come to you in a very proactive way, just speak to you on marriage. And as we set out together, I want to begin this morning by just painting in broad strokes a compelling vision as to why marriage is a good thing. And I want to talk, first of all, to singles and just say singles don't check out on me. In fact, if ever there's a time you need to be learning about marriage, it's now. So I want you to have that vision now. Get as much as you can before, if God calls you to, to say I do. But there are two extreme singles I want you to be cautionary of. One extreme is I don't want you to overvalue marriage to the point where you slip over the precipice into uh, marriage idolatry. Where you, where you kind of ha- hang your hopes on getting married, and for some reason, if that doesn't happen to you, you know, uh, you, you're, you're, you're just emotionally wrecked. That, that your sense of identity and meaning cannot be found in marriage. You need to learn to be satisfied right where you are in your season of life. No, the grass is never greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. And water the grass in your season well. The Bible is filled with singles who led deeply meaningful lives and absolutely crushed it for the kingdom of God. I'm thinking now of singles like, uh, like Daniel who is matriculating up the corporate ladder there in Babylon and later on in Persia. He's not married. He loves God. He makes a ton of money. He's influencing the leaders of the world. He is deeply in tune with his relationship with God. Of course, the ultimate here is Jesus Christ. I mean, there's no clear example of a single person who lived a deeply fulfilling, satisfying life and crushed it for the kingdom than Jesus. Most scholars tell us that the person who wrote most of the New Testament, the apostle Paul, was single. So we want to debunk the myth that for some reason something is wrong with me if I don't get married. You need to understand that while there are a lot of single people who wish they were married, there are a lot of married people who wish they were single. So use this season and leverage it for the glory of God. So on one extreme, I don't want you to overvalue it where I place my identity in it. But on the other extreme, I don't want you to undervalue it either. So I'm, what, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm asking for is that you just kind of live within the tension. Don't undervalue marriage. The Bible is filled with weddings and marriages. In fact, the Bible begins with a wedding, Adam and Eve, and it ends with a wedding where we, the bride of Christ, will be presented to God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that he who finds a wife findeth a good thing. I done found me a good thing, y'all, and obtains favor from the Lord. The Bible speaks and extols the virtues of marriage. The Song of Solomon dives deeply into the topic of marriage and, and specifically a component of marriage, which is, which is sex. The Bible has a lot to say about marriage. So singles, as we launch out, I'm glad you're here. Need you to keep coming. I want to cast a vision for what marriage may be, but live within the tension. Don't overvalue it to the point where I put my identity in it, and don't undervalue it to the point where I just, I just dismiss it. But I want to give you a vision of marriage. It was the blind Helen Keller, the great 20th century Jesus lover, who was once asked the question, Helen, what's the only thing worse than being blind? And she says, having sight but no vision. Your marriage, my marriage, needs a vision. Without vision, people perish. The reason for the reason for us to continually have a vision before us of what marriage should be about is because as Chuck Swindoll once said, the problem with life is that life is oh so daily. This should sound familiar. I mean, my wife and I are just we're kind of in a season together or I mean just yesterday, just kind of case in point. And by the way, every time I pre- preach on marriage, there's always an argument. Don't worry, my wife has apologized and I've forgiven her. But there's always, 
I'm just kidding. Just kidding, honey. Just kidding. But my, my wife and I are just kind of in this season of life where, you know, yesterday um, our youngest has a tournament in Oakland, so I go to catch the first game, but then I got to hustle back to San Jose with my middle son who's going to his first formal, and I got to drop him off there, and uh, then I got to go to a, a, an event in, in, down in San Francisco, and I mean, it's just... We're just kind of going back and forth. There's activities upon activities. Many couples, you wake up in the morning, and you kind of grunt good morning to each other, and you hurry up and get the kids together, get them breakfast. You get a little breakfast, maybe squeeze in a workout, get them off to school. You, it, Both of you all go off to work. You fight traffic on the 280, 101, whatever it may be. You get there. You work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard, come home exhausted, help out with the kids, go to their activities, get get some food together, fall into bed, never really having kind of connected with one another. You, you stream enough of these days together, they become weeks, and you put enough weeks together, they become months, and, and then six months later, you just kind of look at each other and go, we feel more like roommates who are sharing bills than spouses who are sharing lives. And so what, what happens to you, especially if you've got kids in the mix, is at some point, the kids can be such the focal point here. We're just focusing on them, focusing on them, focusing on them, and then that, that last little tax write-off leaves, <laughs> and what happens? You're staring at a stranger. Because what was supposed to be the priority relationship, you and your spouse, became secondary to the kids. I've told you all before, you know, my, my wife and I do great trips together and uh, pray for me. I got to preach on a cruise, a two-week cruise in, uh, in the Mediterranean Sea. Seriously, they called me and said, Pastor, you want to come do this two-week cruise for us and we'll pay for you and your wife to come out and just preach twice and we'll cover everything for two weeks. Just let me pray. But yes. Um, <laughs> Man, that was a quick word. And um, so I just remember my kids hearing about this going, that's not fair. Mom goes to all, all the cool places. And I said, I know it's not fair. You know why she goes to all the cool places? Because I love her more than you. <laughs> she was here before you got here. In fact, the reason why you here is because she's here. And long after you're gone, she's still going to be here. She's the queen of this house. I'm serious. There's humor in that, but your kids need to feel that. They need to feel they are a distant second. Not just second, a distant second. I'm, I'm serious. Some of you all are guilty of kid idolatry. You didn't make a covenant with your kids. Are, are, are you feeling me on this? You did not make a covenant with your kids. I made a covenant to their mama. Till death do us part. Me and you, till 18 do us part. <laughs> and we parting at 18. Your marriage needs a vision. If you read the Bible, God has created three institutions for human flourishing in order. The first institution he creates is marriage, Genesis chapter 2. Second institution he creates is government. Third institution he creates is the church. These three institutions are gifted by God for human flourishing. In other words, one of the primary weapons that God wants to use to evangelize the culture for his glory is your marriage. I want you to feel the weight of that. There is a call on your marriage and your marriage is to tell the truth about who God is in a lost and dying world. Your marriage is not just about paying bills. Your marriage is not just about sex. Your marriage is not just about helping me find satisfaction and fulfillment. Your marriage 
is about mirroring the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and witnessing prophetically to a world that only knows brokenness, pain, and suffering. And I believe every time a Christian files for divorce, God is grieved in his spirit. My parents, in their book, Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, they say this about marriage. They define it as marriage is the sacred conduit, hear it, by which God's plan and purposes are passed on from one generation to the next. That just bears repeating. Marriage is the sacred conduit by which God's plan and purposes are passed on from one generation to the next. Your marriage is the umbilical cord by in which God is passing on who he is, his purposes, his plans through the home and infiltrating the bay. I like that. Even more telling is what God says to the nation of Israel. Here he is gathering them together, and they've been on this long journey from from Egypt. Now they're going to the promised land, and they're about to step into the promised land. And here it is. It's it's not the Bible Belt. It's a completely secular society, and ain't nobody putting up for sale signs because Israel has moved into town. God's saying, listen, I want to prepare you, and this is how I'm going to reach a secular society. And these words, I think, ring true today. God says, here's how I'm going to reach the secular lost society. Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Train your kids, he's saying, in the things of God. And God forgive us for taking more time to teach our kids a jump shot than the word of God. You shall bind them as, as a sign on your hand. They should be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Do you see it? God says, my primary vehicle for reaching secular society ain't necessarily the church house. It's your house. It's the the God-saturated home. And I want you to understand that because unless you feel the weight of that, Now, all of a sudden, it won't make sense why all hell is breaking loose in your home. Satan is not going to sit back and allow you and your wife to enjoy unbridled affection and oneness God's way with one another. He's going to throw everything at your marriage, including the kitchen sink, because sadly, Satan takes your marriage more seriously than you do. So we're laughing and playing games. Getting our behinds kicked by Satan. He has an assignment on your home. He has an assignment on your kids. He has an assignment. Take him seriously. And you forgive the urgency here. He's coming at you. No, he ain't coming at you in a red jumpsuit with horns sticking out his head. It's coming at you in short skirts, exceedingly emotionally attentive co-workers while your husband's been starving you in that area. He's coming at you in work affairs and hobby affairs. He's coming at you. He's coming at you. He's coming at you because Satan believes Deuteronomy 6 more than we do. Playtime's over. We need to lead our homes, men. Not like some Neanderthal, but like Christ. And so when Corey and I looked at each other, July 3rd, 1999, we said, I do. God says, My assignment on this marriage 
is that it would tell the world the truth about my unfailing love for them between this union of two sinners with flaws and faults who will hurt one another and offend one another, but will lean on my grace and will forgive one another and won't quit on each other, but will keep coming back to the table and keep coming back to the table the way I keep coming back to you. One of my heroes is a godly man by the name of Robertson McQuilkin. If you don't know who he is, you need to know him. Uh, Men, he wrote a short book. You can breeze through it in less than an hour. It's called A Promise Kept, A Promise Kept, A Promise Kept. Robertson McQuilkin, one of my heroes, he, he was the president of Columbia International University, but then his wife Muriel of some 40 years got diagnosed with Alzheimer's. He all of a sudden quits his post as president, uh, goes home, takes care of Muriel. She's since gone on to be with the Lord. But in one story here, she's just gotten diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and, and the way it would affect her initially, she'd just take off running, would forget where she was. And he talks about the time in which he's in Atlanta's airport, and they're waiting on a connecting flight to get back home, and she just takes off running, and he's all embarrassed and disheveled, and he's calling her, come back, Muriel, come back. She's not coming back. She's running down the terminal, and all of a sudden, he just takes off after her, and And finally, he catches up to her. He's out of breath, and he's stroking her back. It's okay, sweetheart. It's okay. It's okay. Leading her back, leading her back. And at the corner of his eye, he just hears a 20-something on her laptop, and she just kind of mumbles something. And Robertson stops, and he says to the woman, what would you say? And this young woman, 20-something, she just stopped and says, no, sir, I was just watching you, and I I just was saying, "I, I hope I can find someone to love me like that. Our world needs marriage posters. Not of perfect people. People keep coming back to the table. Keep coming back. I've only got two points this morning. I want to park on one phrase. This one phrase has four points. I'm going to give you two points this morning, two points next week. What did God intend when he created marriage? Ephesians 5, verse 25, here it is. He says, husbands, love your wives. Here's the phrase. As Christ loved the church. This phrase is so pregnant with meaning that unless we understand it, we'll never understand marriage. I want you to see what what Paul is doing here. He's linking the sacred institution of marriage with the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is exactly what he's doing when he's saying, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ. Uses a simile, as Christ, as Christ, as Christ loves the church. You learned this in your English class. All the simile is, it's a comparison between two things using like or as. In other words, what Paul is doing is he's taking the institution of marriage and he's tying and tethering it to the cross of Jesus Christ. It is as if he is saying you will never experience your marriage at maximum capacity unless the motor driving your marriage is the cross. You'll never get there. If marriage for you is all about personal happiness and personal fulfillment, and um, I'm going to start out here, but the moment I'm not happy, I'm, I'm out, you won't last long. But if your marriage is rooted in who Jesus is, that's why it's important not to be unequally yoked. You marry as is. I know you finding all that. You ain't changing them. So Paul says, you must integrate your I do to one another into the it is finished what he has done for you on the cross. Or it won't work. Well, what does this teach us? Our marriages must rest on the framework of the gospel 
And that gospel framework has four things. I want to give two of them today. First, you can't understand the gospel without this simple fact, and that is our need born out of our sinful nature. We are in a relationship with God because God pursued we sinners. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Two chapters later, Romans chapter 5, doctrine of original sin. Paul says, sin entered the world through one man, infected everybody. Because what Adam and Eve did on the cross, all of us were born sinners into this world. You're here today, you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. Here's an example of that. When your baby was born or any baby was born, they didn't need to take a lying 101 class. They had a PhD in it. They didn't need to take a selfishness course. They graduated summa cum laude in that bad boy. We came into this world woefully broken, woefully sinful on our own agenda. And the result of that, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Unless Jesus steps in, we will spend an eternity separated from God. What does that mean? It means when you got married, I don't care how fine she was or how tall, tan, and terrific he was, you said I do to a sinner. It's a great forensic into this. I want to encourage you to read Hosea chapter 3. It actually, chapters 1 through 3, God comes to Hosea and says, Hosea, listen, I'm, I'm a little bit frustrated with my people. I've married a serial philanderer. They keep cheating on me by whoring after other gods. By the way, every time we sin, we commit spiritual adultery. But God says, I'm unwilling to give up on them. Even though they're sinful, I'm still in it. So here's what I want you to do, Hosea. You're a prophet. I want you to actually marry a prostitute. And when she sins on you, chapter 3, I want you to go again and get her. Because your marriage is not a stale environment. It is two very flawed people who, when they hurt each other, you actually have a profound opportunity to witness to the world of my grace and forgiveness. In other words, Hosea, your marriage is not about your marriage. It is an illustration of what I want done in this world. I can't tell you. A friend of mine grew up together in church, Carlton. He posted on Facebook. He says, listen, my wife and I, I was going to leave her. He says, I'm getting my stuff together, going to leave my wife, and I'm getting some books off the bookshelf, and one of the books that fell off the bookshelf is a book that my dad, Crawford Loritz, had written. And he picked the book up, and he immediately thought back. He grew up in a single-parent home. And my dad kind of had this policy. He just kept an extra plate out on the table. So our family, our rhythm was we always had people, mostly from broken homes, over at our house. And here's what Carlton said. When I saw that book, about to leave my wife, my mind went back sitting at the table of Crawford and Karen Loritz. And I had an image of what a good marriage was. And I remembered that. And decided to stay in it. Two years later, he's still in his marriage because he saw the power of two broken people leaning into the gospel of Jesus Christ. That doesn't negate the reality that we married a very broken, flawed person. I want you to marry, imagine your marriage is like a bridge. A bridge that's been poorly designed, there are structural flaws in it, no one really realized it, but because of that, there were structural flaws in it, there were small cracks in it, and finally the bridge opens up, traffic is able to come through, and now you've got these big heavy trucks that are driving across this bridge, they don't realize there's structural flaws, and now what's happening to those tiny cracks, those tiny cracks under the weight of those trucks are actually going to enlarge. That's your marriage. You said I do to a broken person, a sinful person, and they said I do to you. Likewise, you are broken and sinful, and here's what happens. You get two sinners together, and then you put the heavy weight, the heavy truck of marriage on top of it. It's only going to illumine and expose what you already brought into it. That's why every married person, if they've really been honest, they said stuff like, I never knew how selfish I was till I got married. 
Marriage finds us out to let you into our home. Again, Corey and I are two very flawed people. And and through the years, she's been far more gracious to me than I've been to her. My wife grew up, child of divorce. Her dad, uh, who's since come to the Lord, um, but he just, he just skipped out on the family when my wife was younger. This created this, this longing for intimacy there. I grew up in a home where my dad, godly man, but he was, he was an evangelist. He was gone a couple hundred days out of the year preaching the gospel. And my mother did the best she could. She did the best she could. She's a great mother, but she, because of the home she grew up in, she didn't know how to emotionally connect. So get the picture. I marry a woman who's longing for intimacy, but I'm a kindergartner in how to give that intimacy. <laughs> I, I mean, the first couple of years, I, I was an idiot. Don't say amen, Sister Loritz. Here's the punchline. And I want you to sit under this. Because you're a sinner. And because you married a sinner. Your spouse is not equipped to meet the deepest longings of your soul. See, see what, what, what I'm saying to you is this. The doctrine of sin kills the happiness ethic. If your mentality is, I'm going to get married and they're going to fulfill me, they're going to complete me, Jerry Maguire. Well, I didn't see that movie. Um, someone told me about it. <laughs> your spouse was not designed to bear the crushing weight of deity. They're not God. They're not Jesus. So stop expecting them to be Jesus. They can't meet your deepest needs. God can. On the cross, Jesus did. So what that means for me, on my side of the table, I can't look to my wife to fill in the gaps in my heart. That's God's job. But on my side of the table, what it does mean is I don't have a passive thing when it comes to the gaps in my wife's life. I, I, I go power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus. I know I'm not you, but, but, but I understand that oftentimes you want to use me as an instrument to, to get done what you want done. In her. I'm, I'm totally available. However you want to use me, however you want, God, whatever you want to do. But, but, but I've got to take deity off my shoulders. We're broken. Secondly, let's go home on this one. Your marriage will, be, will only be a witness to the world of the hope of the gospel when it rests on the gospel. And here's what that means. The gospel begins with, I am a sinner. But how did I get with God? He forgave me of my sins. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 103, verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, is as far as he has removed our sins from us. We are saved, not because God constantly brings up our stuff and reminds us of our stuff, but he, he forgives. He, he, he lets it go. As one writer said, I love it, look at it with me, God invented forgiveness as the only way to keep his romance with the human race alive. <laughs> so our relationship with God only works because God has placed on repeat the song of forgiveness. I forgive you, 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 and that's just today. And just as our marriage with God won't work without forgiveness, so our marriage with our spouse 
won't work without forgiveness. We all sin and do things to hurt each other. But the uniqueness of marriage is that the one human who loves us the most, who holds my heart in her hand, is the one who is hurt most deeply by my sins more than anyone else. So let you back into my home. Probably one of the more awful things that I ever did to Corey. Again, we came to this marriage. Corey was starving for intimacy. I'm a kindergartner at giving it, and our first son had just been born. And I came home from day well, from work one day, and and I'm looking at my wife, and she's just she just got has this meltdown. And um, she's going, I don't know if I can do this, talking about her firstborn son. He's just days old, and I don't know if I can do this. And she's crying, and like, I don't know what to do. Again, I'm a kindergartner when it comes to this stuff. And I just freeze. And I said, um, I'm going to play golf. You get yourself together. I'll be back. <laughs> I feel judgment. If, you, if we want to have testimony service in here, we'll let your spouse testify on you. I'm just doing what the what young folks say. I'm keeping it 100. But don't you see in that moment, I, I deeply wounded Corey. Our, our marriage had no hope of going forward unless there was going to be Forgiveness. Some of the problems in your marriage is you're stuck on the history channel. And something comes up. You ever been in an argument with your spouse? Sorry, marital realignment session. And, and y'all going at it, and all of a sudden, stuff from 10 years ago comes up. And you're like, how did we, how did my mama get into this? In Matthew 18, Jesus tells a stunning story. He says, there's a servant who is in debt to a king. He owed him 10,000 talents. It's a crazy amount of money. The servant pleads him, please be patient with me. I pay you everything. And in a stunning act of forgiveness, the text says that the king just released him of the debt. That's forgiveness. It's, it's a letting go. Then this joker goes out, having been forgiven about billions of dollars, finds somebody who owes him a few denarii. That's a couple dollars. And starts choking him, saying, pay me what you owe. Word gets back to the king what this servant has just done, whom he just forgave. And the king says in some words, are you kidding me? I just forgave you billions of dollars, and you're stuck on a few dollars that someone owed you? This is the epitome of hypocrisy. Every time I fail to forgive Corey, I commit spiritual hypocrisy. Don't you see the story? God is the king. I'm the servant. He's forgiven me of everything I've ever done, am doing, and will forever do. So for me to receive the forgiveness of God but to withhold it from my spouse? I want to be careful here. Are there reasons to divorce? Absolutely. Some of you all have experienced domestic violence, and it's horrible, and it's reprehensible. And I always counsel, at minimum, at minimum, temporary separation until that person shows the fruits of repentance, if not divorce. You all know I don't play that around here. We don't play men putting their hands on women. I've told you all before, we're going to start a ministry with about some six foot nine, 380-pound guys who will be unleashed to go to your house and lay hands on you and not for prayer. <laughs> don't even tell me what you did. We don't play that. Now, what I'm going to say is really hard. Some of you have been cheated on. 
And you have the biblical right, according to Matthew 19, to divorce. But before you jump into that, if you've been cheated on, let me just ask you a question. I think God can get more glory out of that. Yes, that person has to show the fruits of repentance. But if I really understand the gospel, and you may, you may be on a page, but I just can't do it. I understand that. But just, if I really, I cheat on God daily. It was Bishop Desmond Tutu in his wonderful book, No Future Without Forgiveness, in which he talks about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. And, and he says, I literally saw forgiveness turn beasts into beauties. Forgiveness has a way of just changing people. Isn't that how God does us? How are we changed? Not by condemnation, but by grace and forgiveness. And in some way, I think God designed marriage to be a journey between two sinners so that we wouldn't allow our forgiveness muscles to atrophy. So we forgive and we forgive and we forgive. Let me end by giving you five practical things to forgiveness. Number one, remember God has forgiven you. This is what a gospelized marriage looks like. Why does Corey constantly need to forgive me and why do I constantly need to forgive her? Because Brian, don't you see, that's what God constantly does to you. Two, speak the truth in love. This is found in Ephesians. There can be no genuine forgiveness until the offense is well processed and articulated. So I do something to offend my wife. She needs to now come to me. And she needs to now speak truth to me. But she needs to do it in love. And because of this, I do think it's appropriate. Sometimes we can get real heated and real ticked off. Sometimes we just need to say, I'm a little cranky right now. Give me a couple hours or maybe tomorrow we'll come back together and talk about it. But trust me, brother, you don't want me to talk right now. Because I'm trying to speak truth in love. And it's here I want you to remember your spouse is not your enemy. Ephesians 6.12 says, we wrestle not. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Your spouse is not your enemy. Third, don't generalize. Don't say things like you always or you never Focus on the issue, not character. So if we've got to deal with an issue of not speaking the truth and lying, let's deal with that. Don't say, so don't say you're a liar. That, that's a character indictment. Focus on the specific issue here. Fourth, listen attentively. When Corey comes to me, she's got a grievance with me. I don't need to fiddle with my phone. I don't need to constantly cut her off. Eye contact. Don't cross your arms. Open posture. Put the defenses down. Let him finish. Let her finish. Fifth, apologize appropriately. No fake apologies. No, I'm sorry you took it that way. Did, did I just come, come down somebody's street? No, I'm sorry your mama trained you that way. We get nasty, don't we? 
So to apologize appropriately means I'm specific. So if my wife comes to me and says, listen, I thought we had an agreement. If we spent over $100 on the credit card, we'd call one another, ask for permission. I'm looking at the credit card bill. I see some golf clubs for about 1000 bucks. <laughs> I'm sorry you took it that way, honey. Y'all get out my marriage. No, an appropriate apology is, honey, you're right. I'm sorry for violating our agreement. And I'll take them back when you take your purses back. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Y'all get out my marriage. All right, I want Ben and the team to come. My grandparents were married for 53 years. And I'll never forget, um, my dad tells a story towards the, towards the end of their, their lives. Dad was there visiting, and uh, he walked into the kitchen, and my grandparents were going at it. And, and when I say that, it was more my grandfather going in on my grandmother. And my grandmother just kind of listened patiently. This is 50-something years of marriage. And when he's done, she says, Crawford, I hear you. But please don't forget, at the end of the day, we're all we've got. At the end of the day, Corey and I are all we've got. And I hope you don't take this the wrong way. I love you all. I love you all. Uh, Thomas, we need to go play golf this week. I enjoy hanging out with you. I stay late many nights sitting with you, hearing your stories, entering into what God's doing in your life. I pray for you all daily. But you all ain't got nothing on me and Corey. She's more of a priority to me than you are. At the end of the day, we're all we've got. And we've gone through some hard times in our marriage. We can talk to you about crying our eyes out at St. Jude's with one of our children who's diagnosed with a disease. We can talk about, to you about miscarriages. We can just talk to you about the mess in each other's lives and the arguments that we've had. We keep coming back to the gospel, and we keep coming back to the gospel, and that's what saved us for 19 years, is what God in Christ has done for us. Satan wants to make your home another casualty. And I want you to resolve that he ain't going to get your marriage. Work it out. Forgive, get therapy, love each other, walk in the power of the Spirit of God. I want to pray. If you're here today and, and, and you just felt like this was a word in season for your marriage, And I don't care where you may be. You, you may be, be, yeah, it's pretty bad right now. Or, or, or you may just be like, yeah, it's, it's good, but, man, we just, we're just feeling it right now, and we want prayer. Would you come meet me at the altar? If you feel like this is a word in season for your marriage, would you, would you just come meet me at the altar right now? We want to we pray over you want to pray over you. Yes. yes. This, is, this is where it's at. No matter where you may be, we just, we just want to pray. We just want to pray. 
I want to invite Elder Zeke to come up. We just want to pray. 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 You you may have gotten the papers to file for divorce. But I declare to you, God's not finished yet. He's not not done yet. He's not done yet. God has an assignment on your marriage. God has an assignment on your home. And the enemy is coming to kill and to steal and to destroy. But he that is in you greater than he that is in the world. And I want you to hear me. If you've gone down the path of divorce, the fact that you're living today is God saying, I'm not done with you either. I'm not done. He's, he's a God of another chance. So I want Elder Zeke to pray over you all. They're still coming. They're still coming. They're still coming. I just want you to stretch a hand towards those who are here. You you may have a friend that's up here, and I want you to feel the freedom to come and stand with them. Would you just stretch a hand towards these who are here? Elder Zeke, would would you just pray God's blessings over these marriages? Dear Lord, we just... uh We thank you for just loving us where we are. Broken people that hurt each other constantly. But thank you for your example on the cross. Thank you for your example for coming after me specifically. And the many, many examples in my own marriage. Today, yesterday, and moving forward, I know you're going to show up. Because we're going to continue to try to make you the priority. Thank you for just hurting people who have come up and those who are still sitting in their seats, Lord, that you're an on-time God. And no matter what we're going through, finances, hurting each other, illness, argument, fighting, Lord, you can make it better right now. We lean on you. You're the only one that can do it. I'm so glad that we're reminded that marriage is not about being happy. Marriage is about love. Marriage is about working it out, just like we have to work out our faith, Lord. And I thank you for couples who are here saying, we need help. We need you. Lord, it's hard because we're people. And pride steps in and keeps us from doing what's right. But God, I pray that we just be a more humble people after your heart. That we start bearing the fruits of the Spirit, Lord, and not our own desires. Knowing that this thing is not about about us, Lord, but it's about you. And the example that we can set for others, Lord, is you reach them and we say, marriage is here to stay. As we say, we're not going to walk out on our spouse. As we say, we're going to hold on. If it's the last thread, Lord, then we're going to hold on to that thread for dear life and fight. Oh, God, I just thank you for your people today. I thank you for an honest word, Lord, about marriage. A lot of times the church doesn't want to talk about it, but we need it. It's a word in season for our church, Lord. There are hurting people here. I'm hurting. Oh, God, help us. Make us better by making us understand who you are and how powerful you are. You spoke and made all of this. We need to remember, you can speak and make our marriages better. You can speak and make our attitudes better. You can speak and make us love each other better, Lord. We all have to ask and go to our private place and focus on you. Oh, God, just help us to help others. Help us to keep focused on your word. Help us to understand that we're not alone. 
Sometimes it feels like it's just our situation. But Satan, he has a template. And he goes out our marriages specifically for certain things, Father. Teach us how to recognize those and not to fall for his, his schemes, Father. I feel the pain of a lot of people here, Lord. I have my own. But I love you, and we love you. And we're going to leave all this here on the cross with you today, Father. We ask this and many other things that we know you're going to do. We ask you to show up in every situation out here, Lord. I don't know the specifics, but they're here for a reason, and you know. I just ask you to touch these marriages in a mountain way, encourage them, and send them to your word to find answers. We ask this in Jesus' holy name, and let the church say amen. Here's a look at what's going on at Abundant Life this week. Ladies, make plans to attend the women's 11th annual Christmas tea entitled, I Am the Bread of Life. It promises to be a memorable event with great food, praise and worship by Carolyn Fakatu, along with a special message by our very own Corey Loritz. This event takes place on Saturday, December 8th from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. Tickets are available today, after service, or online. For many people, the holidays can be a tough season especially for children separated from their families. So let's all come together for ALCF's 19th Annual Christmas Gift Drive to help children of incarcerated parents, local youth, and families of the military serving abroad. It kicks off with training on Sunday, November 18th from 12 to 1 p.m. in Allies 2, the house. And the gift drive goes through December 20th. If you're 18 to 30-ish and looking to go deeper in your walk with God within a community of young adult believers, or if you're not a believer but would like to learn about God's plan for your life, make plans to join our Young Adults group for Friday Fellowship on November 9th and 30th from 7 to 9 p.m. at Pastor Gary and Beth's house. For more information, contact ya at alcf.net. There's no need to wait until Sunday to worship with the ALCF family when you can join us for Worship Night, a midweek gathering filled with praise, prayer, and an inspiring message from Pastor Brian. This event takes place on Wednesday, November 14th from 7 to 8 p.m. in the Sanctuary. Our Young Adult Sunday Meetup is a great opportunity for people 18 to 30-ish to connect and have fun with other young adults over lunch. Meet us at the center pillar in the lobby after service on Sundays and we'll head out together to enjoy a tasty local eatery from 11.30 to 1 p.m. If you are new to Abundant Life, and want to learn more about our story, vision, and values, be sure to join Pastor Bryant at our guest luncheon, This is ALCF. The event takes place on Sunday, November 18th from 12 to 1 p.m. in the chapel. To sign up for any of these upcoming events, go to alcf.net slash signups or check out the ALCF app. And remember, Abundant Life exists to make a better you for a better world.